The scripture reading today is Luke 10, verses 38 through 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Martha, who sat at the, at, she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted with all the preparations that had to be made, and she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, only indeed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. The word of the Lord. I'll admit it, you know, uh, women, I mean, when it comes to women, it's, it's very confusing. I mean, things get uh, twisted together. I mean, uh, ladies, you get it, right? You feel it too, right? Yeah. Things get so confused, it's like hard to tell what is the most dominant element in the hatred. Is it the misogyny or the racism? Is it economic, religious? Sometimes race and class and religious and genderish hatred get so mixed up together that it's hard to pull them apart. I know men who are not part of the original voting bloc experience extreme bigoted hatred as well. The original voting bloc being established in the Constitution were men who were white, wealthy, and not Catholic. You know, and I really, I know that it's not really probably helpful to quantify and compare bigotry and hatred, except when maybe sometimes it is. Like, maybe not quantify and compare, but maybe focus. Because it does seem that when you take racial, religious, and class hatred and add non-maleness, It just really seems to amp the hatred up. It's like extra protein powder in the hate shake. Like Keith Ellison, you know, the first Muslim elected to Congress who was certainly called out and accused of many things, being anti-Israel. But Ilhan Omar, elected to the same seat as one of the first Muslim women in Congress, has experienced seething vitriol at like Hillary Clinton levels. I mean, as a matter of fact, the venomous monomaniacs have even just switched out Hillary's chant for hers. Ilan Omar's picture is on Fox News more than Trump's these days. I mean, if she got royalties every time they used her name, she would be a billionaire. But of course, she can't because she's an elected official. It would be illegal for her to profit from her name and position. From the red-faced, full-throated mosaic of hatred towards women, tonight I want to pull out the shard of femaleness to reflect on. 
and posit that of all the ingredients, styles, flavors, and shades of misogyny that contributed to the attacks on this so-called squad, there was a very clearly classic indictment in that. That of a woman knowing her place. A good woman knows her place. A good woman knows how to act. This charge has been used throughout history as the first line of attack when women challenge, threaten, outsmart, outplay, or do whatever they want first without asking permission from men. When do the, who do these women think they are suggesting we eliminate the use of fossil fuels? Who do these women think they are asking for equal pay while winning more than the men's team? I mean, the questions brought out in this text that we read tonight has almost always been seen as being about a woman's proper place. Mary and Martha's names have, become, have come to represent typologies of a good woman's place and then pitted them against each other to see which one is best. Mary is seen as the responsible, I mean, Martha is seen as the responsible, hardworking, traditional, hair in the bun, frumpy apron, no fun, pinch face shrew, while Mary is seen as the free spirit, intellectual, progressive, patchouli scented, peasant blouse wearing hippie chick. And a plain reading of the text seems, it seems to answer the question of which kind of a good woman is the goodest. According to Jesus Christ Almighty himself, drumroll please, Mary has chosen the better part. At which part, Mary turns around and sticks her tongue out at Martha, and Martha scurries red-faced back into the kitchen. Clearly, that is the lowest reductionist reading of the text. To make this a binary, pitting these two types against each other and declaring a winner serves to avoid the real radical revelation in this text. And even the higher level of recent, the recent history of interpretation of this text, there is still this notion that Martha is worried about many things, fussing around with the traditional household duties of a good woman, while Mary understands that when Jesus is around, a good woman should forsake everything, and focus on him. These readings from the start misapprehend the already radical nation, na nature of this household. First of all, a good woman in first century Palestine is attached to a man. She is her husband's, and if her husband dies and she didn't he didn't have any brothers to take her, she belongs to her oldest son. Her place is to take care of the house of the man she is attached to. But there is no man here. This is Martha's house. She is not that traditional woman. She's the boss. In John's gospel, Martha and Mary have a brother, Lazarus, whose house Jesus visits, but not in Luke's gospel. In this narrative, the household is Mary, Martha and Mary. The text says, Now, as they were on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. The text continues, Martha had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teachings. Now, because of the history of the interpretation, it's easy to read this as Martha is working and Mary is just sitting doe-eyed at Jesus' feet, not doing a thing. 
But the description of Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching, is not a description of what she was doing physically at that time. It is a description of who Mary is. Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet. To say someone sat at the feet of a rabbi, a teacher, is to identify them as a disciple of that teacher. To say Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching, is to identify who she is, not what she's doing. Mary, who was one, Mary was one of Jesus' disciples. The text continues. Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Again, it's easy to picture. Uh, it's easy to picture a scene where Martha invites Jesus into her house, and he sits down, and Mary sees him, and is transfixed, and goes and sits at his feet, leaving Martha to set out the drinks and refreshments. But Martha is not talking about that moment. She is talking about the fact that Mary has been gone from the house on the road with Jesus. She sits at Jesus' feet. She is one of his disciples. She left me to do all the work, meaning she wasn't, she wasn't talking about putting out the relish tray. She was talking about managing the house, the crops, the animals, the workers. She was left to do it by herself while Mary was on the road with the rabbi. In the scene right before they arrive at Martha's house, we read about how Jesus sent out the 70 disciples to go out on their own and teach and heal. He gave them the power and the authority to act in his name. The 70 disciples, including Mary, travel with Jesus to Martha and Mary's village, to Martha's house. They don't do this by accident. Jesus and the disciples just don't happen by Martha's house, and she waves them in. Mary, the disciple, takes her rabbi and the other disciples to her sister's house. So this isn't a hut with Jesus sitting in the living room with Mary at his feet. This is a great household. Mary and the other 70-some disciples showing up and Martha welcoming them in. And in amidst all the chaos with Martha giving orders to the servants to help everyone get settled, Martha corners Jesus and says, Look, look at this place and all that I have to manage. Don't you care that Mary left me to do this on my own? And Jesus says to her what he says to the rich young ruler, what he said to the ones who wanted to follow him, but only after they buried their dead or seen to their household or land, who he called away from their family fishing business. Jesus says to her, Martha, you are worried and distracted about many things, distracted by your obligations to the status quo, distracted by your wealth, distracted by the dominant narrative. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Silver and gold will pass away. Come with us, Jesus is saying to Martha. And Martha listens, because the very next text, a disciple, perhaps Martha, asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. And Jesus said, when you pray, pray, Father, hallowed is your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day this daily bread and forgive our sins as we forgive the sins of everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us into the time of trial. 
Jesus is teaching Martha and the rest of the disciples, when you pray, pray for the new calculus of God's kingdom to come, to overcome the calculus of the dominant narrative. Trust God for what you need every day, and don't make every day about your own struggle to store up wealth. As Ask for forgiveness, and for everyone who is indebted to you, free them. Martha sits at the rabbi's feet and listens to his teaching and her sister, with her sister and the other disciples. And as the narrative in Luke continues, the male disciples seem to kind of drop away. And by the end, when Jesus is arrested and crucified, there are no longer 70-some disciples. Judas betrays him. Peter denies him. So many others have run scared. And his group, now his group of followers is mostly identified as the women. The women take his body and place it in the tomb. His women are there. The women are there at the resurrection. They're identified as Mary and Jonah and the other Mary, and all the women were there, it says. How has this truth so been distorted in the history of the church? How has this been so distorted in the history of the interpretation of our holy book? That this text is about a spat between two sisters and how they should behave? Women should know their place. Even though the world and history seem to have been trying to get them to forget it. Women should know her place. We should send her back. Send her back. Send her back to teach and heal in the Messiah's name. Send her back to Jesus' side at the crucifixion. Send her back to bear witness to the resurrection. Because without her, the world would not have heard the proclamation of the radical mercy of God that prepared the food for the table. 